Hello. Hey. Oh, it's your twin brother. So, I know. It's crazy. It's the same shirt. So we are doing the Grace and Truth Year, right? 2019 is all about grace and truth. Yeah. This mini-series is called Grace Defined. So this is going to be kind of a teachy kind of lesson. I'm going to talk about grace. But the application is real and it's personal. So this is one of those applications that should hit your heart, right? It might not be something that you can go out and do so much. Is just a little turn of the dials on the inside, if that makes sense, in, in how we relate to God and how we think about how God relates to us. Sound good? Excellent. So let's define grace. You guys ready for this? Here we go. Grace, unmerited favor, said every pastor ever. <laughs> right? I mean, every, I, somebody asked me, how would you define grace? And this is literally all I could think of. And I'm like, no, think of something from seminary, something deep, something impressive. It's all I got. Unmerited favor is what comes to mind. And you know what? We're going to start here, and really, we're going to end here, because this is a darn good definition of what grace is. If you'd like more words that say the same thing, here's the Mounts' expository definition. Charis, that's the Greek word for grace, is grace, or favor. It's acceptance of and goodness towards those who cannot earn or do not deserve such gain. You might also just say unmerited favor. Alright? So, pretty simple. We're going to unpack it. Might get a little wonky, but I'm hoping to shed some light and uh, bring some life to this phrase, unmerited favor. What does that really mean? And we're going to do it talking about a particular type of grace, a category, if you will, and that is saving grace. Saving grace. And I know what everybody thought. You thought the Christian metal band from New Zealand, <laughs> which is one of my favorites. But that's not the saving grace we're going to talk about. That album in the middle, by the way, is truly fantastic. What about the one on the right? Oh, dude, it's so, it's just, oh, everybody, Google. Go Google and you'll know Pastor Anthony maybe better than you want to. All right, anyway, this type of saving grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8. Who's heard this verse before a hundred times or more? Many of us in this room. It seems simple. If you dig into it, if you get in the weeds, you can make yourself wonder, what in the world is Paul even talking about? How do we define grace? How do we define faith? Is faith like the magical key that unlocks the grace to access the salvation? Do I use the faith to blah, blah, blah? We're not going to overcomplicate it tonight. Yeah, good. For it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is the thing that saves you. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God, and it's unmerited favor. It's really very simple, so I'm going to complicate it briefly. Yes. Here we go. All right. In order to talk about what this means, I'm going to use a book. This book, I know it. You're disappointed already. Oh, books. Crap. <laughs> This commentary was amazing. I don't know who this guy is, but he knows all kinds of cool stuff about first century context, all right? And he spent six to ten pages on this concept I'm going to talk about tonight that blew my mind about this verse. So it turns out that when the first century audience would have heard, by grace you have been saved through faith, they would have thought about benefaction and reciprocity. Busting out the big words ever so briefly, what in the heck is benefaction and reciprocity? Here's a synopsis from the book. 
you had a superior person societally, right? You had somebody who's higher up on the social ladder than you, and he would be a benefactor, and he would give a gift to someone that he chose, or even a city if he wanted, to people that were beneath him, and that gift was called charis. Yeah. It was called grace. The name of the type of gift was a grace gift. Uh -huh. And so the person that receives it is the beneficiary. And in order to solidify the relationship, they would also return a gift, which was also called the charis, grace, and then a relationship of pistis. I know that sounds weird. It's a Greek word. Some of you probably know what it is. Was formed between them. So this is a semi-official thing, right? So if somebody who's your better gave you a charis gift, you're obligated to return one. It would be silly of you to refuse. And then there's this pistis relationship that forms between you two. And everybody would know it. It wouldn't be a secret. And this word, pistis, is the fidelity and loyalty and trust that we commonly translate as faith. Right. By charis, you have been saved through your pistis, or somebody's pistis. We'll get to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But this faith relationship based on a charis gift, the first century people are like, oh yeah, we understand how this works. This functions in society all the time. And man, if you're interested in checking out this book, I can actually bring it. Pages and pages, this person goes on. We have this document explaining this and this document explaining this. It's all over. So the Ephesians are reading this and they're thinking, oh yeah, we understand. Like grace, faith, the, the beneficiary, benefactor relationship. We understand that. But there's a lot to it that God doesn't want any part of. It was common in their first century world. Most notably, it was pretty mercenary. Think about it. If you're somebody, if you want to rope somebody into a loyalty relationship, like I give a gift to Chris. Like one thing, I'm saying, Chris, guess what, buddy? I'm better than you. Because I'm in a position to give you the gift, right? Making me the benefactor and you the beneficiary. And now you're obligated to give me a gift back. And I'll be like, oh, how nice of you. And then you're obligated to be loyal to me. Right. So if somebody has a problem with me, I expect you to have a problem with them. And I'll help you out too. I mean, it's the least I can do since you're beneath me. Like, I'll help bring you up. You know, you understand, right? And then I expect you to talk good about me all the time. And I'll talk about how you're not so bad. Does that sound good? <laughs> all right. Could that be brutal? Like, if I'm rich and I have plenty of resources, I can give all kinds of grace to everybody in this room and obligate you to give me stuff back. And now guess what? You have to be faithful to me. This is so good, isn't it? No. No, it seems icky, doesn't it? It seems manipulative. It seems like we wouldn't like it if we saw it. And look at this. We thought about in the first century day, I shouldn't say we. I never worshipped Apollo. That I know. <laughs> they took this type of relationship to the gods. Here's yeah. a first century writing. This is actually from a play. The lead character says, My God Apollo, I've often dressed your temple with wreaths when it lacked them before, and I've burned in, on, in your honor all those thighs of bulls and goats upon your altars, but you neglect me when I'm in such straits and take no account of your benefactor. This guy's praying to Apollo, and he's saying, Dude, did we switch places? Because I'm doing all kinds of stuff for you, and I don't seem to be getting anything back. See how there's a manipulation here? There's a, the manipulation of giving grace. Mm. Interesting. I wish that this didn't permeate first century Jewish society, but it did. There's a first century Jewish guy named Josephus, 
And he wrote this, describing the Jewish relationship with God. He said, since God has done all kinds of great stuff for us, we return thanksgiving. It's a natural duty, and thanking God is rendered alike in gratitude for past mercies. So what he just said is, this is transactional. Right. God does all kinds of good stuff for us, and then we pay him back thanksgiving. Mm. And not just for the stuff that he's done, but there's the italics there, to incline the giver, that's God, to others yet to come. So we have to pay back God. Plenty of thanks and you know, plenty of pats on the back for all the good stuff God has done for us. So that he'll do stuff for us in the future. Right. It's transactional. He's the benefactor. He gives us grace. We pay him back a gift of thanksgiving. We talk good about him. Praise the Lord. So that we'll get more stuff. Does that seem icky? Does that seem eerily like some Christian teaching we may have heard at some point in our lives? Right. So what's going on here? This is pretty bad. It gets worse. On top of all that, if I'm a benefactor and I'm rich, I usually only gave these gifts of charis, which are like Trojan horses, right? They're, they're obligations. A nice, shiny box full of obligation, right? I would only give those to people who were worthy, meaning people that could actually be good for me. Right. Right? So Chris... Like, we have to understand here, you're beneath me, right? You're on board for that, right? Okay, good. Now, you should also be proud that I took notice of you, yeah. all right? Because I didn't take notice of all these other people. Just you, big man. So, just remember that, too. It's like Ninja Assassin. Who's seen that? Let this watch remind you that every second of your life is a gift I've given you. I, maybe I'll edit that out. <laughs> but... It's just gross, man. Right. <laughs> Not only are you obligated to be faithful, but you're almost obligated to feel honored. Because if you were a bum and you couldn't do anything for this guy, he wouldn't have picked you. There's just all kinds of nastiness involved in this benefactor relationship. And it's, it was gross, but you know, it was kind of an honor. And I'll say this. If somebody walked in right now in a suit and looked really important and shook my hand and gave me a check and an award you'd probably think two things. Wow, that guy must be loaded, and Anthony must have done something really great. Yeah. So if we get something, we do nat naturally associate some sort of honor with that, right? And that's, yeah. that's only normal, but this is more than that. This is an obligation. This is gross. So is that what's going on with God? Does God work this way? If by this gift of charis... You have been saved through this relationship with Pistis. Is this Paul saying, guess what? God ropes you into a relationship where you are obligated to be faithful and obligated to give him stuff back because he picked you and he's God, so you better be honored too because he picked you because you're good for him. You can do stuff for him. Does that sound good? Does that, does that sound like how God works? No. And in fact, when we read all of Ephesians 2, Right. We find out that Paul is intentionally showing these people God does not work this way. Right. I'm going to show you guys two paragraphs and a conclusion from Ephesians 2. In the first one, Paul is going to describe the state of the beneficiaries. That's us. In the second paragraph, he's going to describe the nature of the benefactor. That's God. Right. And then he'll talk about the transaction. Here we go. As for you, beneficiaries, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Excuse me. So he's saying, guess what? He didn't pick you because you were worthy. Right. You, my friends, were disgusting dead things. You had nothing to offer. And more than that, you were actually under the sway of these things, these, you know, the, the prince of the power of the air. You know, Ephesians talks about the principalities and powers a lot. You were under their thumb, serving them. God's enemies. Right. So you're dead, you're worthless, and you're allied with God's enemies. So, what about, well, God picked me, so I must be special. No. God picked me because he's manipulative, and he expects me to give something back to him. No. God picked me because he needs me. No. God picked me because he always picks the best. No. All of these things that are culturally associated with being the person that would receive the gift, it's like, this right out. This is describing us. This is describing the beneficiaries. And Paul is saying, if you think you had anything to make you appealing to God, we just need to forget about that right now. That's not how this works. You are unappealing. Right. And you're under the authority of his enemies. You're pretty gross. Amen, Grace. Let's go ahead and take the offering. You can give it a bath. Next paragraph. Now he's going to describe the benefactor. This is where it actually starts to get good. Ah, oh, wait a minute. Somebody read that first sentence. But... But because of his great love, you know, I've said frequently, if the Bible is not a love story, it makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's because good. this first paragraph is true. Remember, what's every pastor's definition of grace? Unmerited favor. Why in the world would you give unmerited favor to someone? Well, we do it to kids all the time. Yeah, amen. Well, why do we do it to them? Something happened recently? No. <laughs> Love, man. Why in the world would God put such value on us? Why in the world would he want to make this transaction anyway? Paul says it's because of his great love for us. Yeah. That God who is rich in mercy. Why does he have to be rich in mercy? Because we're dead things, doing dead bad things <coughs> under the authority and allied with his enemies, deserving of wrath. He's rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Yeah. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Pause there. In Ephesians, Paul talks a lot about these rulers of the princes of the air and all this stuff. Paul is saying, you were here, dead, under their authority. But because he loves you, and for no other reason, not only did he make you alive, but he seated you with him. Right. He put you in authority over all those things that you used to be subject to. So you used to be subjects of his enemies, and he scooped you up, dusted you off, made you new, brought you to life, and put you in authority over all these things that used to be your masters. Right. Why? Well, it's unmerited favor, it's grace, it's chorus in the Greek. It's because he loves, loves you. Us. It's because he loves us and he's yeah. got great mercy. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. He loves you and he wants to show off how good he is. Amen. By giving constant 
endless grace to the people he has brought to life. That sounds an awful lot like salvation. Yeah. And the kindness expressed to us in Christ Jesus is his coming and dying to redeem us when we didn't deserve it. Greater love hath no man than this. And love is the driver. Right. Love is the reason he gives the unmerited favor. Then Paul says, it is by grace that you have been saved. These are the two parties. Here's the transaction. Yeah. By grace you've been saved through faith. And even that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So that no man could boast. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Different people interpret that differently. That this is not of yourself. Some people think that it's the salvation that's not of yourself. Some people say, well, maybe it's you know, just the salvation. But the faith is ours. We choose to have faith. Anthony's opinion, and it could change because I'm not all-knowing and infallible, yeah. <laughs> is that Paul is saying, everybody knows. <laughs> Stop it. We already established our relationship. You're supposed to talk good about me. I think Paul is saying, look, not only did you have nothing to offer, but you, even this like existing in this faithful, loyal relationship where you're true to God, you know what? He's going to take care of that in your heart. Absolutely. You know, he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us yes. to live the type of life we're supposed to live. He's making it all happen, man. Mm -hmm. He took these dead things, made them alive, put them in authority over the things that used to tyrannize them, intends to shower us with constant grace for all the ages to come just because that's what he likes to do yeah. to show off the fact that he's the type of God that likes to do that kind of thing and you might say well if I'm not worthless certainly I can't be faithful well he knows yeah. and he's going to make sure that you can live up to the relationship oh, even wow. that is coming from the Lord I want to tell oh. a story real quick no nope, oh. not handing out money so I was really desperate a couple of years ago. I know I'm going along a little bit. Sorry about that. It's Cameron's fault. Amen. I was, <laughs> I had been fired from two jobs. This is a couple of years ago. Things were tough. I'm, we're living in two rooms in the Gerber's house. Guys, this is bad, all right? Mentally, financially, dude, it was awful. Like, I'm in a bad spot. I need a job. And Sean Quentin, who's not here today, his stepdad owns several sheep farms. And he said, hey, Anthony, if you need some work, you see me. I will put you to work. And I called him up and I said, Jeff, I need some work really bad. And he's like, all right, meet me. I think it was 7 or 8 in the morning. So I show up at 7 or 8 in the morning. And let me just say, that's early, but that's not farmer early. Yeah. Right? And we spend a day, essentially, to my eyes, driving around. He called it checking on stuff. But we got coffee two or three times. He talked to me a lot. He enjoyed my company. He encouraged me. I think at one point I did move some hay, like from here to here, but there's only like two bales, and they weren't like the full bales. They just weren't that heavy. Maybe five dollars? Maybe? You know? And then we'd pull it back to the house, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you can go home. You know, thanks for coming out. And he pulls out this $100 bill. And he's like, I want to give you this. And I looked at it, and I remember he's standing there just like this. Like, he pulls it out of his pocket. He's got a lot of cash. Maybe that's a farmer thing. I don't know. It's a farmer He's thing. like, I want to give you this. And I looked at it, and I looked at him, and I said, Jeff, I have not done enough work for $100. I remember I did not take the $100 bill. Oh. I just looked at it, and I said, I've, I've not done $100 worth of work. And he looked at me, and he said, I know. 
I want to give you this. And I said, thank you, and I took it. Uh, I needed that money really bad. So I'm driving home. Uh, you want to finish it up? Sorry. <laughs> You're doing good, uh, man. I can't have this. <laughs> and I realized the dude contacted me. He had a lot of guys that could have helped him out on that farm. They had farm experience. He could have called Sean. He could have called a ton of guys. He calls me. And then we had the day he wanted us to have. Right. right? He could have told me, go shovel the poop out of the stall. There were some poopy stalls that we checked on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was willing to do whatever he needed. I did virtually no work. I got encouraged, and I got free coffee. Yeah, cool. And then at the end of the day, I had a choice. Because it was all up to him. The type of work, the type of day we were going to have, the type of relationship that he and I were going to have. When I showed up, it was all him. And now he wanted to give me grace. Come on. I haven't done a hundred dollars worth of work. He said, no, you're right, yeah, but I want to give you this. And I tell yeah. you, that is what Paul is talking about. Amen. By grace, you can say that kind of grace. Unmerited favor. Because that's the kind of guy that God is. Amen. But there is something that we need to do. And that is choose to accept or decline. When I'm staring at that $100 bill, I could make a decision out of pride. Yep. I could make a decision based on the hard facts that I haven't done enough. I could ask him if he had any 20s. <laughs> I could insult him. Right. But I could leave with my pride intact. Or I could thank the Lord and take the 100 bucks and learn a lesson about goodness. Yeah. Today, I would encourage everybody who has not already accept. No, you don't have anything to bring to the table. But God loves you. Amen. Let him show you the kind of God that he is. Amen? Amen. 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 Here's Shamrock. All right. Thank you.